1 Corinthians chapter 13. And uh, this is the love chapter. And if you've uh, heard, you've probably heard this at weddings before. Or, and that, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a, only a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and I have uh, a faith that can move mountains but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all my po I possess to the poor and give my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It, is, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I responded like a child. When I became a man, I put away, uh, I put the ways of childhood behind me, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Can you say amen to the word of the Lord? Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to thank you tonight for this opportunity to, to bring your word and to touch hearts and lives. And Lord, we just ask that uh, our hearts be good ground to receive what you have for us this evening. And uh, Father, that we can say something that would uh, minister to lives and needs and challenge us to be uh, more like you. And we give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name. So we're going to be talking tonight. Without love, you ain't nothing. You ain't nothing, nothing, nothing. All right, go, and go to the next slide. Anybody know this guy? Anybody? Man. No. <laughs> that is not me. That is, this is a, a very, I have to bring you up on, 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 on some of the history of Christian rock music. This is Larry Norman. Larry Norman. And back when I was in high school, this guy was the Antichrist. Yeah. <laughs> Because if you listen to Larry Norman, you did not tell anybody openly because the, church, the Christian music that he had, if you remember back in that time, a lot of the televangelists were coming on um, strong about Larry Norman's music, that it was um, spiritual fornication, that it was just wicked. And so if you had this music, you didn't tell anybody, you listened to it. I listened to it. And uh, he was a, a four, uh, the founder of what we call the, the Christian rock movement. Christian rock historian, and yeah, there is such a thing, uh, John J. Thompson wrote, it is certainly no overstatement to say that Larry Norman is to Christian music what John Lennon is to rock and roll or Bob Dylan is to folk music. His work has been covered by over 300 artists. He was controversial, criticized, and condemned by the Christian church and by the Christian music industry. He hated the Christian music industry, and I could honestly say the Christian music industry probably hated Larry Norman. 
<laughs> because he got in it. His thing was it was an evangelism tool. It was not a tool to make money, but it was a, a way to spread the gospel. And he shared the stage with people like Janis Joplin, The Who, The Doors, Jimi Hendrix. He was the good boy that was in the rock and roll bands. And so he wrote a lot of music that was controversial. And um, uh, a lot of people have, he influenced a lot of uh, musicians. A lot of people have followed him. Bono's one of his fans, says that he contributed to his, uh, one of his uh, contributors, somebody that inspired him. So he had a great influence on Christian music. And uh, one of the lyrics from one of the songs, or one of the, the, the uh, songs that he wrote was, Without Love, You Ain't Nothing. Can you go to the next slide? And it says, you can be a righteous rocker, you can be a holy roller, you can be most anything. You can be a Leon Russell or a super muscle. I, like that. I think that's my favorite line right there. <laughs> you can be a corporate king, you can be a wealthy man from Texas or a witch with heavy hexes. But without love, you ain't nothing. Without love, without love, you ain't nothing. Without love. So, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about love. We've been talking about discipleship and the evidence of being a disciple. And, and I, this was just something the Lord put on my heart a few months back, and I jotted it down, uh, especially when I heard this song uh, one night when I was doing through some YouTube videos. I, I watched the, the videos for this. And I, it, it brought to mind what the importance of love is in our lives. Man, you can tell I got, I'm used to holding the mic, right? <laughs> I don't know what to do with this hand. <laughs> so the group that I came up with in... We had a very, and Paul talks about it in the very first verse there, about though I speak with the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Now, the group that I came up with, some of you may have been in similar situations or similar church backgrounds. The, there was a heavy emphasis placed upon speaking in tongues. Okay, It is one of the spiritual gifts. The group I was with, it... it it was emphasized to the point that unless you did speak in tongues, that you really never had salvation, all right? And unless you spoke with tongues, you didn't have the evidence that you had been baptized in the Holy Ghost. So this was a big, big thing in the group that we, that we moved in and we uh, operated in. And for years, this is what we thought. But then as I got older, I began to realize there are people that speak in tongues and their lives are really seriously messed up. So we wore like a badge of spirituality that this is who we are. We speak in tongues. This is what we do. This is, this is showing up the evidence that we have God's spirit in our lives. But it's a, not the evidence of God's presence in our lives. Granted, it is a spiritual gift. Paul spends all of chapter 12 talking about the spiritual gifts. And I think the reason that he was talking about the, that in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians was because the Corinthian church was abusing the gifts. They were putting such an emphasis on them that nothing else really mattered. And there are groups like that today. There's groups that uh, they feel like, you know, we got to have the gifts in operation. We need to see more of the gifts. We need to see more of the manifestations. We need to see the word of prophecy. We need to see the, the word of knowledge. We need to see these things in operation, working of miracles. And people gravitate toward that like moths to a flame sometimes. And it's like, this is, it's, it's, it's exciting, it's exhilarating, but when it's all over with, what do you have left? You have a sensationalism. There's nothing wrong with the gifts, there's nothing wrong with the operation of the gifts, but the gifts have to be done decently 
and in order. All right? Is that okay? You all, you all with me? So, tongues are a gift, but they are not the true evidence of the abiding presence of God's presence in a person's life. Tongues, for tongue's sake, are just noise. There is no meaning. Wow. The evidence of God's spirit in a person's life is love, because without love, you ain't nothing. And if you read through the first few chapters there, Paul was writing this. He said, so you speak with tongues. So what? So what? So you speak with tongues. What's the big deal? So, so, what, so what? What do you do after you speak in tongues? You prophesy. Now, I've been in groups that were, every, every time they came together, they would have, a, at the end of every service, they would bring a chair out and somebody would sit down and they would take word, you know, that everybody came to get their word of prophecy. Okay, we're going to get our, we're all going to prophesy over every, uh, each other and we're going to teach everybody how to prophesy over one another. So we prophesy. So what? So what do we do when we go home? How are we going, how are we going to treat our neighbor? How are we going to conduct our business? How are we going to live our lives? So what if you prophesy? You can move mountains. Paul says, so what? You can give away all your goods to the poor. So what? I gave everything I had to the church. I gave everything away. Look at me. So what? You gave your body to be burned. So what? If you don't have love, those things profit nothing. They don't profit anything. First John chapter 4, and this is a great chapter, First John chapter 4, and I, I encourage you to read it, and it's, it's just very, very powerful. In verses uh, 7 through 12, the writer John uses the word agape 13 times in those short verses, just uses the word agape 13 times. Now, in English, we use the word love, and it's very elastic. I mean, we can say the word love for many different things, but depending on the context depends on how we use it. I love my wife, all right? I love ice cream with Ready Whip on top of it. <laughs> but I can't equate the love I have for my wife for a, a, uh, a, a, one of those ready, you know, those little swirly things, you know? <sighs> it's not the same. Now, in Greek, they have seven, there were seven, seven different words for love. Every word means something different. A great illustration of this is found in John's gospel where Jesus was asking Peter, do you love me? And he was saying to Peter, do you have agape for me? And Peter would answer back, Lord, I have filio. I have warm, strong feelings for you. And Jesus asked him again, do you have agape love for me? And Jesus, or Peter answered back again and says, I have filio. I have warm feelings for you, Lord. Now, you got to understand, this was right after the, uh, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Peter had denied the Lord three times. Jesus was asking him if he had a, a self-sacrificing, um, selfless love that he could give him. And Peter was saying, Lord, this is the best I got. So finally, the Lord says to Peter, Peter, do you have filio for me? And Peter was troubled this time and says, Lord, that's all I can give you. And the Lord said, then feed my sheep. It's a great illustration of that word. So in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, it opens up beloved. Go ahead, go to the next one. I don't remember what's on the next slide. We'll leave it right there. 
John 13, 35 says um, that by this we'll all know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We'll come back to that. But in 1 John 4, and verses 7 and 8, it said, Beloved, this is agapitoi, loved ones. That is who we are. We are God's beloved. We are God's loved ones. Everyone who is born of God and knows God, he who does not love does not know God. If we love one another, if we uh, know God, then God lives in us. If we love as God loves, then we have God in our hearts and our lives. He who does not know does not know God, for God is love. Now, John went on to write the three greatest words known to man. And it's not, you want fries with that. It's God is love. Go ahead and go to the next slide. God is love. In the Greek, it's actually four words. It's ho, theos, agape, esten. Ho, theos, agape, esten. The God love is. The God love is. This describes God's very essence, God's very character. God is love. And John, in John chapter 4, he uses this word agape 13 times to drive home a point. And that point was that love is not some warm, fuzzy sentiment that we often say that it is, but it is a no-strings-attached, unconditional energy of honor between persons. That's what agape is. It's a selfless, self-sacrificing love, no-strings-attached. The Bible says that God is love. It does not say that God is loving, but God is love. So when we're trying to describe God, you can say he's merciful, you can say he's just, you can say he's loving, but the, 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 the essence of God's character is God is love. It's, his very, it's central to everything he does, it's central to everything that he says, it's central to everything about God revolves around these three words, that God is love. God's wisdom, God's mercy, God's justice, God's holiness, God's righteousness, all are centered in the fact that God is love. And his attributes flow from this fact. Love does not describe God. It is who God is. God is love. The very essence of love. So it doesn't matter, and the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul wrote, Be imitators of God as dear children. When we are love one another, we are imitating the very presence, or we're, we're imitating our Father. When we love, when we love other people, it doesn't matter how much supernatural stuff we do. Without love, it doesn't matter, it's nothing. If we love one another, then God abides in us, that God lives in us. And we take this love and we are to show it to the rest of the world. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us... Go ahead and go to the next slide. Okay, we can just leave it there because I don't remember where I'm at now. <laughs> beloved, 1 John 4, 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to... Love one another. We can say that because we know what the next verse says. But how many of you came up in church or grew up in church where you said, Jesus died for you. The least you could do is live for him. 
Nobody ever heard that before? God's done so much for you, the least you can do is just serve him. But that's not what God's told us to do. You know, it would make sense that God's done so much for us, and God loves us so much, and he's, and he's put so, invested so much into us that we could say, God's done so much for me, I, I just owe it to him to live for him and to be and do everything that he tells me to do. So what does God tell us to do? He tells us to love other people. I've loved you so much that I want you to imitate my love to everybody. If Christ loved us, not only should we say, well, you know, I owe it to God to live for him. I, God loves me so much that I need to love other people like he loves other people. Amen. Amen. We love one another. God wants us to be so full of him but that we can't but help but leak love everywhere we go. Loving him. And I think this is probably something that is missing in, 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 in the Christian world today. There's a lot of talk of hate. There's a lot of talk of, of, of division. But it's God's calling us to love, not to divide. Paul addressed it in his day. He said, some say that I'm a Paul, some say I'm a Peter, some say I'm a, a Apollos. But Paul was saying that, that what we should be focused on is that God loves us and that we should ref reflect his love. God doesn't want divisions among us. God wants us to love one another. God wants us to, be, to love other peoples as he loves us. God has loved you so much that we ought to love one another. Jesus said this in, in, in the uh, verse that we showed a first couple slides back. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Didn't say that by speaking in tongues or by prophesying or by moving mountains or performing miracles. You know, if I, I bring my hanky, you remember, remember that? Wave offerings? Remember, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> We used to do that one song. What was it? Uh, Wave the answer back to heaven. What's it? What was that? Song? <laughs> so it's like when I hold the fort. There you go. <laughs> we didn't have all these words up on the wall. <laughs> we had book singing. <laughs> Wave that hanky. And when I got saved, that's the first thing I did. I went out and got some handkerchiefs so I could have the church. <laughs> And you see people, they do these miracles, you know, and, and swishing and swashing and all this kind of stuff. And people think, ooh, wow, that's, that's powerful. But this is powerful. This is where people's lives change. This is where people really become imitators of Christ is by reflecting God's love. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for, one for another. I have a very good friend of mine, and um, he... He's, is very much into that type of demonstrative type of atmosphere, you know, and saying that, you know, there's not a church in this area that, you know, manifests the gifts like, like they did in the Bible. And I think that's where we're looking for, always looking for the next fire to get around. And he and I are talking and one day and he's, I was mentioning something to him about um, Al Sharpton and Bill Clinton. They went vegan. They turned vegan and you see how much weight Al Sharpton's lost and Bill Clinton in because of their, I'm out there. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? All right. All right. And I was saying it was because they, they, they had heart conditions. And so they, 
just out in conversation, I was passing, I was saying this stuff, and he said, it's too bad they didn't have a heart attack and die. And I thought, wait a minute, this is the guy that's telling me that we need more of God's manifest presence, but yet when it comes to politics, it's okay to wish somebody dead. <laughs> I don't agree with him politically, but I don't wish anybody dead. I don't wish anybody had died of a heart attack. That's not the evidence of God's love. So what you do all these miracles? But if you don't love people, nothing's going to change. I was in a conversation recently, and somebody said, you know, if you took away all the, the, the lights and the sound and the, the music and the band and all that, how many people would just come for Jesus? All right? To me, that's, that says this is an excuse for being a small church. Okay, that's the first thing that I say. Well, am I not doing something right? Okay. <laughs> she keeps grabbing her ear. So, <laughs> just trying to, get the, <laughs> trying to get the signals down. I'm watching the sound people. <laughs> so now what was I saying? I don't even remember what I was talking about now. <laughs> anyway, it must have not been important. So, love doesn't act that way. Love manifests God's goodness and his God's mercy. Bible tells us in the next couple of verses in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us not only the, what, you know, the importance of love, that it's greater than the greatest of all the spiritual gifts is love. Then he goes on to tell us in verses 4 and 6, he tells us how love acts. How does love act? Love is long-suffering. Kind of self-explanatory. It's do I have that on the next slide? I don't remember. I kind of threw this together because I'm interested in them. Okay, it's not there. Okay. Love is long suffering, suffers long, puts up with people. That's long suffering. Okay, it's gonna get worse. It's gonna get worse. <laughs> love is long suffering. Secondly, love is kind. Kind. It's not rude, doesn't behave ungraciously. Love is kind to people. It's kind. Love does not envy. It's non-possessive and non-competitive. You know, it's like you hear all these songs on the radio, and I was thinking about this when I was putting all this together, is all the love songs out there. You know, um, I feel like I grew up in the greatest era of music there was, and that was in the 70s. All right. It's like, yeah, I'm that old. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was one of the, I'm trying to think of who did the song, um, You Make Me Feel Brand New. See, and some of you are just going, I can just see the, the, the lights are on, nobody's home, all right? <laughs> but, and I can't remember who did it, but it's because I love you because you make me feel brand new. We, we love because of the way that it makes us feel. But that's not the way love is. It's non-possessive. It doesn't have something that it's asking for in return. It does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It's not arrogant. It does not behave rudely. It is courteous, good-mannered. That's what love is. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. It's not provoked. And see... We can read this. I, I can read this and tell you about it, but it's like this comes back at me as well. I, I work in, 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 a, um, in, a, in the medical industry, and I, I deal with facilities and 
medical providers from all over the country, basically right here in Florida. And a lot of your doctors now outsource all of their billing. So when people have problems with their claims or something like that, they call in, and I go over the claims with them, and I explain what's, what's going on and what the, what the problem is and how the, why the claim process like it does. And there's a lot of people from India that call our end, our our um, center. And it's hilarious because you go, hello, my name is Kevin, and I am calling today from the provider's office. <laughs> and I am calling for the claim status. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, I doubt people, Kevin is a very popular name back in your village, but <laughs> all right, Kevin. And, it's, and they're, they're very pressed for time because they have a list that they go through of uh, just, you know, they, pay, they don't pay these people very well, and they're just, they have the, all these calls they have to make. So the whole time you're trying to retrieve information, they're pushing you, pushing you, pushing you, pushing you, pushing you, pushing you. And finally, it's like, I get that moment where I just kind of, okay, Kevin, <laughs> you're going to have to wait a minute. <laughs> I told a guy today, hey, hey, just slow down, give me a minute. <laughs> And I thought, oh, man, I'm preaching tonight. <laughs> so it's not provoked. It's not irritable. It's not touchy. It's not rough or hostile. It's graceful under pressure. And this is something all of us have to continually work at. I wish, you know, because I, I tell you what, when, when people told me, and the, the environment that, like I said, the environment I came up in was completely different than the environment I'm in right now. And it's like when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, your whole life's going to change and you're not going to have this. And this is, you're, and you're not going to, things are not going to, all these old things are going to be gone. And all this stuff's going to happen in your life is just going to be so much better. And when I got home, it was like, this is everything like it was when I left. Nothing's changed. And I thought something was wrong with me. I thought there was something wrong with my experience. I thought there was something that somebody, uh, that I didn't have the experience what they had. Because they were telling me, once you get this experience, then everything's going to be different. And it, it, it didn't. Because it's not an outward manifestation. It's an inward change that God's calling us to. And it's a way of love. Love thinks no evil doesn't wish ill upon anyone, like we were saying just a moment ago. It doesn't wish anybody dead. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. And I think in our society today, you know, with the, and there's nothing, and I don't have a problem with entertainment. I like entertainment. I have Netflix. I have Hulu. And, and I tell you what, if I have a choice, my wife's going to see what are we going to watch tonight. I know she's thinking, leaning toward Hallmark. I'm leaning toward Die Hard. Okay. <laughs> And so it's like, you know, the more explosions and gun play and that, the more I like it, you know? You know, I, I know how, because she gets irritated with me because I can tell her how the Hallmark movie is going to end before it starts. <laughs> They're going to fall in love. The end. <laughs> so we're going to sit here two hours to watch the inevitable. All right. <laughs> But it's like you'll watch these programs where there's this guy and this woman, they're married, but they're at each other's throat, and then in comes this other person, and we know, okay, he really doesn't love his wife, so it's, you know, we kind of justify 
these people getting together. And it's like, this is the way our society works. We have to have the justification. Love doesn't think like that. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity. It doesn't. It rejoices in truth. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 43, you have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Now, in our, in our culture today, when we, we hear about the rain, oh, in every life there's got to come a little rain. Rain means something completely different in the Middle East because it doesn't rain a lot there. So when God was sending rain on the just and on the unjust, God was blessing the just and God is blessing the unjust. God loves everybody. And he, Jesus was telling us here, love your neighbors. Hey, and you know, Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those that hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And then in verse 7, and we're running here in 1 Corinthians. Verse 7 tells us the strength of love, that love bears all things, meaning it's defending and holding other people up. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. It believes the best of others. It believes the best in others. Hopes all things. It never gives up on people. And I got to say, there's some people that you just feel like, you know, there's just nothing you can do. Just give up on them. God's never gave up on us. The Bible tells us that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. God had no reason to love us, but he did. Hope never gives up on people. Hope endures all, or love endures all things. It's loyal to the end. And then finally, in the end there, it says that love never fails. The gifts, they will fail. They'll, they'll be done away with. They're going to be done away with. But love lasts for eternity. It lasts for eternity. What we know is limited. The gifts operate in our limited understanding. Nothing wrong with the gifts, but they're limited. Say, so how can that be? Because we, you know, it's like back in the, in the times of the prophets when they would prophesy about all the things that were coming. They have one interpretation of things, but their interpretation is based upon their worldview. That's why you can see things here in, in, in Joel. It looks like, uh, it's like looking at the stars. They look like they're all close together, but actually there's thousands of miles between them. Our understanding is limited. And so when God works through us, a lot of times it's going to be limited. The gifts will pass away. They're for a purpose. They're for a time. They're for a season. But they, the greatest gift there is is love. It's not all these other uh, manifestations. And so that's the gift that we should be pressing toward. Paul says we see things in a mirror. It is a reflection. We see things dimly. But one day we shall see him face to face and then we'll know as he knows. And the Lord's going to call us over and say, you know, look here, Dan. You see this? I want to show you something. You see that? You know what that means? And you're going to say, wow. I, we, we really missed it on that one. God knows that. 
God knows that our understanding now is limited, but one day it's going to be, everything's going to be revealed. So that's why he tells us to, to put such an emphasis on love. And verse 13 tells us that love is the greatest gift. Faith, hope, love, but the greatest of these is love. It's love. You remember Tina Turner? What's love got to do with it? Love's got everything to do with it. Everything. Everything. Everything that we do, every time we come together collectively as a body, our outreach, where everything has, has to be rooted in love. Music, everything is rooted in our experience with God, and that is God's love. God's love is what's going to change us, and that's what God wants us to be full of if we're going to change the world. It's not going to come through our politics. It's going to come through God's love. Things in this society are not going to change because we voted. It's going to come through God's people loving, God's people caring, God's people doing what God's called us to do, and that's to love one another. 